Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. But right now, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 for the scripture reading. And I'll give you guys a second to get there. That's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it reads, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Good morning, church family. Glad to be here this week. I was not able to come last week because of sickness, and it, uh, it's good to see you all again. Brenda always tells me it's good in a sermon to have stories, so I'm going to start today with a story. I hope that's okay. Many of you know me. Most of you know me. I know mo most of you. There's some, a few out there that I haven't met yet, but um, if you've known me for any length of time, that you know that I enjoy uh, something in particular, and that's fishing. Probably to say I enjoy it is kind of an understatement. It's more of a passion with me. Um, it's woven through my history um, and many different aspects of my life. I plan vacations around it. I make friendships through it. I spend financial resources on it. I think about it. I read about it. I write about it. I even watch YouTube videos with uh, content about it. It's the preeminent secular activity of my life. So you can imagine how excited I was when I had the opportunity to travel to the Bahamas this summer to fish with a friend of mine, an old friend. I bought my tickets probably six, six to nine months in advance. I purchased new clothing, including gaiters to protect my neck from intense hours of sun exposure. I thought about it, I talked about it frequently until the day finally arrived. I booked a Friday departure because I wanted to be there um, on a Sabbath to take in a church service. Incidentally, they have something like nine Adventist churches uh, on an island that's no more than 21 miles long. I also wanted, didn't want to overstay my welcome, so I planned on leaving on the following Tuesday. That would afford us a solid two days of fishing, Sunday and Monday, with the possibility of wetting a line maybe on Friday or Tuesday a little bit as well. But what I failed to anticipate was um, how big of a role that Murphy's Law would play in my trip. It actually started long before my departure with many uh, changes to my flight. So it actually started, um, yeah, with, uh, on Friday, or, be or before my departure, there were lots of changes to my flight, leaving me with uh, a big layover in Philadelphia that I hadn't planned on, which grew even longer when I once I got there with canceled flights and gate changes. Needless to say, Friday was a washout. During the course of my short stay there in the Bahamas, my friend found himself in the midst of two... Uh, family health crises, and we spent hours uh, talking about what was going on in his life, and it was primarily him venting and me listening and trying to provide whatever help that I felt I could uh, was capable of giving. When we finally made it out on the ocean, his boat blew a hydraulic line for the steering, and we hobbled it back to shore. 
From my vantage point, it seemed like my long-awaited Great Bahamas fishing trip was a bust. It was at this juncture that I thought, perhaps with everything going on in his life right now, um, maybe I, sh I was too much of a burden to him, and I should probably just get a hotel room and relieve my friend of the inconvenience of having um, a guest during what was turning out to be a pretty difficult time in his life. When I found the right time to, to breach that subject, his response was ex entirely unexpected to me. Not only did he refuse my offer to rid him of the burden of playing host to me, but he expressed what a blessing that it was that I was there in the midst of his crisis. He went on to tell me how living alone, he had no one to talk to. And with all the stress that he was going through, having someone to talk with was super helpful. He thanked me for being there and insisted that I remain with him for the duration of my time on the island. That's when it hit me. I had planned a fishing trip, but God had orchestrated an opportunity to use me to help a friend in a time of need. Isn't that what we should expect from our God? Could it be that when I was selecting the dates for my flight nine months ahead of time, in his omniscience, he impressed me to select the specific date that I had? Could what I viewed as Murphy's Law had been God's providence? Despite my short-sightedness and failure to recognize what he was up to, God was able to lighten the burden of my friend in his time of need. This experience opened my eyes to the reality that there are plans greater than mine, and that that has helped me to better understand the importance of community and our individual essential role in helping others. In fact, it's a significant part of our purpose in life. If you turn with me to Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5, we'll read that together. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5, it reads, Let nothing be done through selfish ambi ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for, your own, for his own interests, but also, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't believe that having personal interests or pursuits is a bad thing. God created us with a capacity and desire to learn and explore things that, that pique our interest or our curiosity. And I think this text is reminding us not to get caught up with our own interests to the extent that we neglect the needs of our fellow man and fail to see, uh, see what they might need and, and, val and value them. We need a reminder because we're naturally not self-oriented. It takes discipline and intentionality, but... If we're to truly have the same mindset as Jesus in our personal relationships, it's going to require that we spend adequate time with our Savior and that his attributes will take root in us. I have a friend from work that I have lunch with regularly, not often, but regularly. And during one of these lunches, I commented on an observation I made about him. Um, I said, you sure have a lot of friends. His reaction to my comment uh, was not at all what I expected. He pointed his finger at me and he responded, and don't think I don't work hard at that. He was right. Making friends 
and maintaining relationships with others takes a considerable amount of effort. Yes, I recognize that having similar interests and goals, uh, beliefs, values, things like that may draw us to one another. But if we're going to grow and maintain friendships, it's going to take some intentionality and some work. This short conversation we had over lunch, which he might not even remember, had a profound impact on me. Up to that point in my life, I was the type of person who was happy to have you as a friend in my life, and I enjoyed seeing you when our paths crossed, but I wasn't the kind of friend who would um, go out of my way to keep in touch with somebody and uh, to connect. As I pondered his strange response to my observation that day, I realized I was not living my life in a way to maintain relationships. It's been years now since that conversation, and I've made a concerted effort to change the way I operate. I reach out regularly now and touch base with friends for no particular reason. I initiate plans to get together with them, and this, of course, has enriched my life. I believe this is a step towards what Paul is encouraging us to do in Philippians. If we're to have the mindset of Christ in our relationships, we must first have relationships, right? Paul writes something along a similar vein in Ephesians, and we read part of it as our scripture reading, I believe. If we could turn there again to Ephesians 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. And it reads, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In both of these passages, Paul's telling us that humility is... Um, an essential ingredient of Christian relationships. Which makes sense because how else would we be capable of, of valuing someone more than ourselves? Whereas this passage in Philippians spoke of having the mindset of Christ, which is self-sacrifice, this one here in Ephesians talks about keeping the unity of the Spirit. This is the closeness and harmony that we're to demonstrate in our relationship as believers. Although this is applicable to all relationships, Paul is speaking specifically here about those relationships uh, with our brothers and sisters in the faith. These relationships um, with our spiritual family members can be as strong as bonds of blood relation. Verses 4 and 5 list seven elements that unite us as believers. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. There we have it. Seven reasons why you should have an unmatched unity with those sitting in front of you right now, those maybe sitting behind you or across the aisle. <clears throat> Seven things we all have in common, not just superficial things like your favorite color or favorite restaurant, sharing a birthday or anniversary date, but deep beliefs and truths that we hold dear in our lives. The last of the seven is reason enough for the unity that we possess. Uh, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all.
If God the Father was truly in us all, or would we not have an unrivaled unity? The converse to this statement is, if we don't exhibit unity, God the Father is not in us. That's not a position with which we want to find ourselves, but many times within our, within our fellowship of believers, we find examples of division rather than unity. I've been convicted that um, to believe that um, that puts us in a pretty dangerous spot. If we find ourselves out of that outside of the structure that God's designed for us, it is unfortunately not uncommon for pastors or other church leaders to come under scrutiny of other church members when something goes uh, maybe the way they felt it it shouldn't, or when something that the leader may have said or done is either misrepresented or poorly executed. It should not surprise us that leaders are not perfect. None of us are, of course. But if we are to humble ourselves um, and we value others above ourselves, we can find grace before criticism threatens to steal the unity that we have through Christ. I'm not as naive as to suggest that every person with their individual life experiences and understandings um, are going to see eye to eye on everything. There'll be a diversity of thought until Christ comes and illuminates us all. But we don't need to let these things divide us and steal the, our God-ordained unity from Christ's body. There's a truth that's been tested and proven valid over time. It's this, division in any organization inhibits growth, whereas unity encourages growth. After all, the maxim divide and conquer attributed to Philip of um, Macedon and used throughout history by rulers such as Julius Caesar and Napoleon is not fiction. When we look at the most explosive periods in church history um, in terms of growth, we'll find this essential element of unity exhibited. The first and arguably um, most notable of these periods is found in my favorite book, the book of Acts. If we could turn there to Acts 2 and verses 41 to 47. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done throughout the, through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all, all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Familiar verse, but in the early church of Acts, we see this harmony exhibited so completely that people shared everything that they had. They prayed together, they ate together, they fellowshiped together. They went to the temple together, they praised God together, and it became infectious. The powerful witness of love and harmony was contagious, and daily people were being saved and added to Christ's body, the church. I would argue that today we live in one of the least unified societies in history. Modern man is independent. Self-reliance and making it alone are hallmarks of strength and success. 
even badges of honor. Being dependent on others is viewed as weakness. It should be no surprise that loneliness and anxiety, depression and mental illness are at epidemic proportions right now. None of us want to be dependent on handouts. We want to contribute, and we should. But how much happier and satisfied would we be living in a community of self-sacrificing believers who demonstrate the Spirit of God on all they do? Do you think that people will take, would take notice? Would that be attractive to the people of Midland if we exemplified this standard in our community of faith? Sure, in contrast to the broader society around us, it might appear strange at first, but at some point, and at some level, it would bring some to the realization of the emptiness of their life, void of true community. I believe that we, it would go from strange to strangely attractive and ultimately result in adding to his church daily those who are being saved. There are a lot of empty seats in this sanctuary, albeit less than there normally are on a normal Sabbath. I think I counted 52 of us today. But there are still a lot of empty seats here. And if we're honest, we can no longer blame that on the COVID pandemic or our reaction to it. It would not surprise me if God has candidates already selected for each of these empty seats. It's possible that um, we haven't given them a reason to be here yet. Are we demonstrating how the Spirit of the living God invites us to live for one another? As we come to the end of our time here together, I'd like to leave us with a simple three-word charge of mend, lend, and send. The first word mend is always a good place to start when unity is the goal. If you have an offense standing between you and someone else in this church family, Forgive them and ask for their forgiveness. Yeah, it takes humility, but we can't have unity without it. The second word in my charge, lend. It's a Christian truth that we all have unique gifts that God has given us for the express purpose of building up the church. Romans 12 speaks of this. If you don't mind turning there with me, one last we'll have one last scripture here. Romans 12, verses 3 to 13. 3 to 13, it says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, 
continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. God has implanted within you an ability that you have the privilege of using to his glory by building up a brother or sister in Christ. I implore you to use it. This, <clears throat> this is a long list. There is something there for each of us. Invite someone over to your home for a meal. Visit someone who's sick or lonely. Give financial help to someone who's going through a hardship. Be a listening ear when someone needs a friendship. Bring someone with limited resources some groceries. Share some spiritual wisdom with one who seeks it. Pray with someone who needs intercession. I think this is what Paul meant when he said to value others above ourselves. And if we're all doing it, that means that you're not going to be missing out. Someone will be valuing you as well, and you will not go without. The third and final word of my charge is send. Encourage others to do likewise. That doesn't mean to tell them to be like you. Rather, share with them a gift that you perceive God has given them and inspire them to use it for his glory and building up others. Sometimes the only inspiration it takes for someone is to activate their own gifts is to see you using yours, but oftentimes encouragement, um, if you perceive something in someone else's, uh, in someone else's life, a gift, uh, sometimes that encouragement um, is, is all that they need to, um, to, be, to be encouraged to move forward with, uh, with using it for the Lord. I'd like to end now by reading a brief quote from John Wesley. I like it. It seems to be a concise summary of today's message. And for those of you that know me, I like concise as well. And it goes like this. Let me do all the good I can to all the people as I can as often as I can, for I shall not pass this way again. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.